Welcome, this is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. I'm welcoming you to our next JNIS podcast. We're honored today to have Sami Al-Kassab and Alex Spiota from the Medical University of South Carolina to discuss their interesting manuscript entitled Alarming Downtrend in Mechanical Thrombectomy Rates in African-American Patients During the COVID-19 Pandemic insights from STAR. I will say at the onset that this podcast is supported by Rapid Medical, the maker of the Comanichi aneurysm embolization device. The Comanichi is the only temporary coiling assist device that does not require parent vessel occlusion during coiling procedures or the need for long-term antiplatelet medication for permanent stenting. Please see the Rapid Medical website for more details. Sammy and Alex, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on this podcast. We're discussing two incredibly important issues that really have impacted uh, our country and the world over the last year, and that really has been the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and racial issues on how the pandemic has adversely affected uh, our minority community. Thank you again, guys, for, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Philippe. We definitely appreciate uh, both the GNIS and this podcast as a forum to talk about this very important issue with you all. Great. Well, uh, I'm happy to have you guys here. Uh, I will say as, as well at the outset that this manuscript is currently online on the JNIS website and when will appear shortly uh, in the print issue of uh, the JNIS. So guys, if we could at the outset uh, discuss the rationale for your study, your methods, and tell us a little bit about the composition of the STAR group. Absolutely. So the STAR is an international uh, research collaboration with both small and large centers and the treat thrombectomy. Um, and it's a collaboration that's been present about a year and a half. Now at the offset of the pandemic, nobody knew quite what to expect. We knew there'd be a lot of changes. There are guidelines about different intubation thresholds for thrombectomy, et cetera. And although we didn't know what was going to come about, we knew there would be a lot of changes that could potentially affect out, uh, patient outcomes. So at the offset, despite all the challenges with research personnel being furloughed, et cetera, a number of the STAR sites um, committed to collecting the thrombectomy data so we could, uh, in different um, batches, study the prospectively collected data and be able to um, act and react to the information as it was coming to us. So this is a third paper in a series of uh, papers investigating how the COVID pandemic affected thrombectomy practices. In the past, and Clement Shermer led a project showing that there was a delayed presentation, a significant delayed presentation uh, for patients with stroke, presumably out of fear. And we had seen that that um, had selectively um, affected African-Americans. And Sammy led a, um, a study looking at telemedicine for both large and small strokes showing that African-Americans were seemingly less um, likely to present for both large and small strokes during the pandemic. So together with the hesitation in presenting, presumably out of fear for COVID, as well as the delayed presentation, we wanted to study specifically did that affect the thrombectomy rates. So we're patients either not presenting or patients presenting too late to still be a thrombectomy candidate. And we were definitely concerned despite um, 
the recent advances in, in racial equalities, there's still a lot of ethnic and racial disparities in healthcare um, that are very significant and need to be addressed. So we, we, our hypothesis was that we would find a healthcare disparity. I just didn't know that we would find it to such degree and such an impact. I think those are the major findings. So again, very much thanks that we can broadcast this uh, and make people aware of it. And such an important study, Alex, and, and I thank both of you and, and your group for contributing this to the JNIS. And, and STAR certainly has contributed a number of manuscripts to the JNIS, so I applaud your efforts. Um, just go, looking over the introduction, you briefly mentioned that some studies have shown an association between COVID and ELVO, particularly in the young population, while others have shown a decline in the number of patients presenting with ELVO during the pandemic. You mentioned that this decline has disproportionately affected African-American patients. Why do you think this uh, disparity is greater in the African-American population? And also, was there any difference in the age ranges for African-American patients presenting with ELVO during the pandemic? That's a great question. And so, um, in, in this uh, study, we looked at the overall number of mechanical thrombectomies uh, performed across 12 centers. And, and we only included 12 centers because we wanted to include uh, all the centers that were uh, in the registry before, as well as during the pandemic. And so we looked at the number of thrombectomies performed per month before um, and starting January 2017 um, up until May 2020. Um, and we compared the number per month before and during, like I mentioned. Um, and even though the overall number has not changed uh, before compared to during the pandemic, uh, the number of mechanical thrombectomies performed to African-American patients has significantly dropped by approximately one third. And so what we found was the percentage of African-American patients um, with uh, LVO receiving mechanical thrombectomy being approximately 33% of the overall population this has dropped to uh, 24% during the pandemic. Now, the exact reason why this is happening is really unclear to us. However, looking at uh, prior studies and the recent uh, editorial published in JAMA, talking about the higher rate, approximately threefold increase in the number of COVID infection African-American patients uh, compared to, um, to white patients, um, and up to a six-fold increase in mortality when, when African-American patients are infected with COVID, um, we, we believe that this, um, this climate uh, may lead African-American patients to have a stronger pull to avoid medical care um, out of fear of COVID. Um, for the second question, as far as aid, we, we did compare um, the, uh, the aid of African-American patients uh, before and during the pandemic, and th that wasn't uh, significant. The median age uh, of patients uh, before the pandemic was 63 compared to 67 during the pandemic. Yep. Thank you, Sammy. It has really been a point of contention in uh, the endovascular literature what the relationship is with, with COVID and ELVO. Um, I'm wondering if uh, either you or Alex could could speculate on, on your thoughts as to whether there is an association between uh, infection with the virus and um, presentation with ELVO. What are your thoughts on that? You're absolutely right. It's been very controversial. I think that the short answer is that nobody quite yet knows. I think with 
I think there's certainly enough literature and, and evidence with severe COVID infection and the pro-thrombotic um, events, including LPO, likely are increasing. I think the more controversial is if, if you can be young without cardiovascular risk factors and with no other symptoms and have LVO as your first manifestation of stroke, I think that's you know less uh, supported. But we're all on the lookout and all trying to gather data to, to see about supporting it. I think the most important thing is in a pandemic with so many unknowns, just uh, being watchful um, and being open to any possibility in a brand new virus, but also uh, just making sure that what the, the findings that are significant that we broadcast that are very strongly supported because, you know, as you mentioned, as your question was uh, asking the Sammy's why we see this uh, racial disparity in African-Americans being less likely to present for their stroke is it's all relates to fear. And there's so much unknown. I think fear is the biggest factor. So I think um, while we have to disseminate information that is, that is based on sound scientific evidence, other you know preliminary findings have to be presented with caution that they still have to be supported. So I think that's the part that's most controversial is you know young patients that are asymptomatic presenting LPO. I think we we are yet to fully fully understand that that's the reality, but obviously uh, we're still gathering data as we go along. So Alex, when you say fear, you, are, you're talking about fear of contracting the virus if you come to the hospital. Is that is that what you're saying? You know I think it's hard. You know I haven't. Um, questioned or interviewed, you know, African-American patients specifically on this. But I think, I think there is, in this country, there is a legacy of, you know, in certain uh, ethnic groups that's long lasting than the legacy of the Tuskegee experiments, or African-Americans are less trusting of the medical profession in general. Um, I think one of the big findings is that, you know, if you look at the time range during which we collected data, the majority of the centers that we collected data from were not in a high COVID burden region. So this fear factor that we think is at play, although we can't prove it, is exists in communities where the hospitals were not overrun with COVID. I think people were hearing in the news about those hospitals that were being overrun and assuming that their local hospital was in that five condition. I think it was a, a, a perfect storm in a negative sense where you have a legacy from the Tuskegee experiments. You know, certain ethnic groups, we know, have different cultural um, viewpoints or different socioeconomic factors are also likely to play. There's probably some difference in biology that we're still not fully understanding. So I think it was a combination of all those factors. And I think moving forward, the best thing we can do is number one, we identified it. And again, we all appreciate the forum, both in the journal and the podcast. How can we get the word out um, that, you know, these are the unsung victims of the epidemic. It's very easy to track someone who gets admitted is COVID positive and the mortality is easy to track. But what's the mortality count of people who are not getting care out of fear? That's much harder to trace. I think we're just starting to address it with this study, you know, very preliminarily. But I think the best thing we can do is get the word out um, that these disparities do exist and that um, people still have to find care for these emergencies, even during times when there's so much unknown and so much fear. Yeah, I completely agree. There's there's just so much data that we're going to be able to collect, I think, over the next year or two uh, after the pandemic, uh, in which we really get to elucidate to a certain extent um, how this disease affects different people of varying ages. One thing that I was struck by in in your manuscript was that only 2.1% of patients presenting during the pandemic were positive for COVID, 
which in my mind seems seems quite small. Do you have a sense from the data that you collected as to what percentage of patients during this time period were actually tested for COVID? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have um, accurate numbers to, to answer that question. Um, and this is largely related to, to the fact that when the first the pandemic hit the United States, uh, different institutions had different, um, different policies on who to test, when to test, and, um, and that, that also had to do with the capacity to do the testing. Um, at our institution, for example, uh, we were in a low COVID burden area, luckily, and, and uh, we were only testing symptomatic patients. Uh, more recently, we started testing everyone, and, and that's because now there's higher rate of infections in South Carolina, and we're more capable of doing more testing. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have um, uh, the exact number of patients that were tested among our populations. What we do know, however, that the vast majority, and, and Alex touched on that, um, uh, the vast majority of our, the included centers were in low COVID burden area. Um, and we used the, the Johns Hopkins uh, registry to define those uh, of uh, less than versus more than 500 per 100,000 uh, population. Um, and so uh, with that, we only found 2.1% rate of infection, uh, which to us was even more alarming because uh, one of the main purposes of the manuscript was also to look at uh, procedural metrics uh, related to thrombectomies. And, uh, and what we found that even though uh, our rate of COVID infections um, in these institutions was fortunately low, uh, procedural metrics were significantly affected because of the change in workflow and, and, uh, and procedural um, metrics were, were uh, affected in, in, uh, in a way that ultimately uh, had a negative impact on patient outcomes. So for example, our procedural duration has, uh, has gone up uh, with an median uh, of 44 minutes compared to 38 minutes before. Um, that has uh, led into a prolonged hospital stay with a median uh, of six days versus four days before, um, and then ultimately increased uh, in hospital mortality, which went up from 11% to approximately 19% during the pandemic. Yeah, I think these are, these are very important numbers. Uh, obviously, all of our hospital systems have been taxed to a certain degree. Um, with, uh, with COVID and the precautions that we have to take. And certainly with uh, the treatment of ELVO, it, it, it is completely time sensitive. So it, this has uh, challenged us in, in a number of different ways. Um, guys, you discuss uh, briefly as well, the fact that um, African-Americans um, and European Africans um, have a higher incidence of COVID infection and increased mortality. Um, I, I guess I'm still having a, a bit of difficulty then in, in wrapping my head around why this then translates into fewer African-American patients presenting uh, with ELVO. Maybe you could uh, discuss that to a certain extent. I don't think we are able to address uh, that question based on our data, unfortunately. It's a very important question, but uh, because we only looked at the number of thrombectomies uh, rather than the number of elbows uh, presenting, uh, we can't really answer that question. Whether or not uh, you know, a higher rate of COVID infection uh, is associated with higher number of elbows, I think that's quite possible. Uh, we do know that uh, one of the reasons why um, African-Americans are more likely to uh, get COVID infection and more likely to have mortality 
from it uh, because of higher comorbidities, um, other factors in, including uh, socioeconomic status and among other factors. Um, however, uh, we don't really have the, the overall number of elbows. Uh, we, we do know that the number of African-American patients presenting to the hospital in general with stroke has gone down. And so, which is why we're saying uh, this may be because of fear of uh, getting COVID um, in patients experiencing stroke symptoms, yet staying at home and not uh, seeking medical attention out of fear of getting COVID. Whether or not there is a drop or increase um, in the number of elbows, we don't really know. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned as well, guys, that more work uh, is needed in the public health domain to educate patients in general and African-American patients specifically uh, regarding the importance of seeking medical attention when developing stroke-like symptoms. Can you give some examples of specific efforts that could be employed to educate these patients? And maybe you could discuss whether or not uh, your STAR group uh, plans to pursue this issue further. Yeah, absolutely. So a strategy we adopted early on in the pandemic, but now with this data, we need to adopt it and become more focused for this healthcare disparity that we're seeing. But a general approach we had taken at the beginning of the pandemic before this data was available was making videos that we targeted to patients and we put them on social media. You know, we all have pretty busy social media accounts or hospital media accounts. And it was essentially a message saying that our hospital is in good shape. We have ways of uh, taking care of patients and keeping them safe. Um, that the transmission of, of patients, you know, COVID between patient to patient was essentially non-existent. And reassuring that you can still get the care. And we focused on stroke, went over the symptoms. And it was really four or five positions, you know, it was a quick 30, 40 second, you know, clip short and to the point of saying, we are here, we're not going anywhere. We, we have the capacity to take care of you safely. That was basically the message. And that's been seen quite a bit. But I think now with the healthcare disparity we've identified, um, I think we have to be more targeted. So we're gonna ask around, you know, this is definitely new ground for us. Um, I think probably bigger, you know, news outlets, uh, newspapers, national newspapers, just to get the word out, hopefully get this, the people's collective conscience so we can be more aware that this problem exists. Like I mentioned, the majority of these hospitals, they hadn't been overrun with COVID, so that's really the biggest travesty. People were holding back for seeing care when their hospital was completely capable and safe to take care of them. But um, I think there's such fear. And, um, but those hospitals, for the most part, were able to take care of them. You know, which is, you know, patients and their families were holding them back. To your point about the LVOs, and Sammy alluded to it, we know that there's a long delay in presentation. So maybe a lot of those LVOs had progressed and had too much of a core infarct never made to thrombectomy. And that's the numbers we were seeing but either way, so maybe to your point, believe that the number of actually of, of people, you know, it wasn't a 30% reduction, it may have been much longer when you factor in the delayed presentation. But there were no longer candidates. Uh, so beyond people holding back and not coming at all, they were coming too late. So that impact actually may be higher to your point. So I think we do have to get the word out. Um, STAR is a good platform for it. We're chatting with all collaborators now. I think a, a bigger national newspaper clip would, would certainly help us. Um, but we're open to any suggestions because this is definitely new ground, you know, for us. So we're open to any suggestions from either you, Philippe, or anybody who listens to the podcast. You can always reach out and give us any thoughts. We're, we're you know, happy to take anybody's thoughts on this. Well, thank you, Alex and, and, and Sammy. Um, again, um, fantastic paper that uh, 
really just raised some interesting uh, questions um, and really, I think, um, discusses some of the un unfortunate uh, repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, just to reiterate, um, basically, the conclusion of this manuscript was that the COVID-19 pandemic uh, affected the care process for stroke patients receiving uh, mechanical thrombectomy uh, globally, and that there was a significant decline in the number of African-American patients receiving mechanical thrombectomy. Uh, certainly, this is an issue that we have to get to uh, the bottom of, uh, one of many uh, important issues that this uh, unfortunate pandemic has raised. Um, I applaud you and your group for for looking at this problem uh, with intensity uh, and for publishing your work uh, in the JNIS. Again, the manuscript is entitled Alarming Downtrend in Mechanical Thrombectomy Rates in African-American Patients During This COVID-19 Pandemic, Insights from STAR, it is currently published on the JNIS uh, website and will be published shortly in the print edition of the JNIS. Thank you again, guys, for participating in this uh, podcast. Uh, it was an interesting discussion, and I wish uh, both of you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much, Felipe.